0: to business with Bobby Kerr, brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk.
1: So, first up, we'll take a look at the business stories that have been breaking overnight. I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by Linda Daly, she's a business reporter with the Sunday Times, and Bob Hoffman, a regular reviewer with us here at Vista People. Welcome, all. How are we all today? Good morning, Bobby. Good morning. Yep, Good well, thanks. let's start with uh, it's not Patrick's day yet, but we'll talk about leprechaun economics for a minute. Uh, Bob, because Cliff Taylor's piece again brings us back uh, to the I suppose the distorted way we report our figures and we're still I, I think a little bit of under a little bit of scrutiny in Europe in other words about our economics and how we report them. Yeah, so this infamous
2: uh, tagline, Leprechaun Economics, has come back yet again. And, and Cliff is right. So his, his opening statement is, Ireland's economic figures should carry a health warning. Well, I challenge Cliff to name a decade in the last 100 years that it hasn't uh, required a health warning in some shape or form. I'm a child of the of the 80s. But basically, the, 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 the gist of it is that um, our multinationals now are dominating our, our corporate tax take at 12%. But, you know, this story, like a lot we're going to cover this morning, the, that thing book, Lies, Damn Lies and Statistics could, could be quoted here. So, for example, in 2020, their GDP uh, ratio of debt was 59%. So the amount of money that we owed as a country versus our turnover. But when you strip out the inter- multinationals, it surges to 105%. And before people start to panic, the US is at 123%. Yeah. So, you know, okay, look, you know, some of the, uh, the economists, there's a guy, Brad uh, Sester, who points out, he uh, works for the Council for European relations and he pointed out that the Eurozone figures were actually distorted by one small, but actually not so small, European economy. In other words, the Eurozone was heading to 0.1% recession. And it was saved by, apparently, our figures, which mm. is incredible. So, yes, we're small, but uh, we, we punch above our weight in this. So, look, uh, by the way, everything's going to sort of uh, balance out next year. Uh, 2024 is when the 15% corporation tax uh, kicks in. But, yes, we have two economies here. We have the real economy and we have the GDP economy, and they're not the same.
1: Linda, are you bothered by some of the international commentary around this in terms of our, I suppose, our economic reputation? Because, you know, if we get... Bob mentioned one of the authors there. There's another one called Adam Tooze. He writes for the Financial Times. And uh, he recently wrote that in a longer-term analysis... Of eurozone growth, it is necessary to exclude the Irish figures, as they are spectacularly distorted by its role as an offshore tax haven. Now that's not the type of stuff that, that we much. want to be yeah. seeing in the international business journals.
0: And and Cliff says in it that it's taken as fact now that Ireland, um, you know, is seen as, as a haven. And actually, when I was I re- read the Financial Times article, um, on uh, during the week, and to depict that story, they had a picture of the actor John C. Reilly who came over to um, lead the St. Patrick's Day Parade. No way. And when I think about it, he did actually look a little <coughs> bit like a leprechaun in that picture. You know, he had the tweed garb. So it is, I suppose, worrying because it doesn't look well on the CV really. Yeah,
1: it? And, and again, like the numbers here and the distorted numbers are colossal like if if you cuz you can read you know you can read a completely different picture if you include or exclude multinationals
0: and he said in 2015 we were 26% above um, the the average um, and the New York Times wrote a story at the time th- I think you may have mentioned it there Um, you know kind of pointing out that you know we had distorted the figures and the embassy complained and uh, you know should we have kept our heads down probably yeah
1: maybe yeah, yeah because uh, we, we drew further attention to it alright um, some tech news because big tech um, discloses uh, 10 billion in charges uh, Bob this is a, a, a piece by Dave Lee Um, Really, this is a cost around redundancies, the job cuts, um, but it, it, it just shows the movement that there's been in big tech to cut costs. So let's remind ourselves, so
2: big tech has now slipped to second place in the Irish economy after farmers. So farmer has overtaken it. And for somebody who's in recruitment and uh, and has had dealings with tech going way, way back, does everybody remember the 2001-2002 dot-com collapse? Yes. But well, it turned out to be a very quick 18-month speed bump more than a, a collapse. And I think this is the same. And going back to my, my remark about uh, statistics and, and damn lies, you know, yes, the numbers are just huge. So Amazon, Meta, uh, Alphabet, who own Google and Microsoft, basically have put 10 billion on the table for redundancies and office uh, closures, etc. But it has to be put into context that these companies um, uh, have 800 billion added to their market capitalization in the last three years. Which is incredible. It's just phenomenal. And also, when you think that 50,000 jobs, and I know for one of the 50,000 people, and of course, this is a global number, uh, it does sound like an awful lot. And if you're one of them, you know, it's a bad day for you. They do employ 2.1 million. 2.1 million people are employed by literally those four
1: companies. So I think it has to be taken in in context of what they turn over. Uh, Linda, let's stay with technology because this is an implication of what Bob just mentioned there, that the tech best bet for office market despite cuts, and this is from Savills, uh, they're saying that um, really, you know, the best bet in terms of occupying all these offices is still tech. This doesn't make sense to me.
0: Yeah, look, I mean, they're going from last year's figures, it was 2.6 million square feet was taken up. Um, But I suppose when you look at the market and you see what's happened with with Meta and the fact that they're Fibonacci Square, they're not going to occupy Fibonacci Square now, the new Johnny Ronan Ronan developed um, office block across from the RDS. um, You would have to wonder, are they going to be able to fill these? Now, obviously... Um, Facebook or Meta as it's now called will still pay the rent on Fibonacci Square or they yeah. will sublet it so I suppose they're not going to kind of get rid of that um, but yeah you would wonder if t- if tech companies are going to especially with the hybrid working I know there's more of a push to get people back into the office um,
1: Yeah but there's still going to be far less people in the office than there was pre-2019 yeah. The other interesting stat in the piece is that if you add in inflation that commercial rents are 14% lower uh, than the equivalent in 27. Mm-hmm. So, rents are falling, which is telling its own story that, you know, that, that demand mustn't be as, as, as strong as it was.
0: No it isn't, though um, we have a couple of stories in tomorrow just looking at kind of, well we have one particular story about um, an insurer in the Sunday Times tomorrow I should say, who is going to redevelop office space, so new office space is going to be more popular than old office space, so there kind of will become this kind of two tier market system and then there's also grey space where um, people were sublet, like the way Madeleine is going to do now. No, I
1: think you're right. There'll always be innovation there and maybe some of the office environments are changing more to the way we work now and some of the old, you know, Georgian buildings and things like that just aren't suitable as offices anymore. Maybe they'll
0: be homes again. Yeah,
1: well, maybe that mightn't be a bad thing. (laughs) Bob, back to you. Uh, Ireland's public debt burden rises to among the world's highest per capita. Debt increased by more than 11% in 2022 to now €44,000 for every person in the state. Should we be concerned?
2: Yes and no. I mean, look, for the average person walking down the street who has a mortgage or, or a term loan, you know, this is scary kind of numbers. But let's just go back. 2000 to 2007, our national debt was about 50 billion. We all know what happened in 2007. We went into a crash. From 2008 to 2012, it surged to 200 billion. And effectively, I'm rounding these numbers off, of course, that was the bank bailout. So it's gone from 200 billion in 2012 now to 226. It's largely the bank bailout at 150 billion and COVID added another 30 billion to it yes it is a scary figure um, but it was higher uh, three years ago it was 47,000 per man woman and child so it has come down you got to remember also this is ultra cheap money and for a good number of years it was zero cost money that the banks yeah. were borrowing
1: and maybe that's kind of sensationalist if we divide it by every man woman and child in the state like really what does that mean well, it doesn't I, really I, mean I'm, anything I'm so
0: busy dealing with my own debt it's yeah. like oh my god
1: the yeah. numbers
2: have become so crazy and of course You've got to compare it to everybody else. So, again, and this is now including the multinationals, and I do accept it is a distortion. We've averaged in 2021 on the OECD website at 65%. So, we owe 65% of what we turn over every year, but the OECD average was 90%, UK was 120%, and the US was 148%. Now, the counter-argument is when you strip out the multinationals, Where do we, yeah. we're, a, we're a lot worse. Yeah.
0: And I would be afraid, you know, that, I mean, there are kind of in, in that article, the you know, clear vulnerability, significant risk. And when you hear terms like that, it is a bit scary, isn't it? Yeah.
1: So. yeah. Let's move to the world of the motor car and uh, some interesting things happening here. Um, Philip Nolan has an interesting piece in the uh, mail today, really around the stats. Uh, You might help us with this, Linda. Um, New car registrations up 9.3% in January uh, compared to the same month last year. That's good news. Um, We've got uh, an overall figure though of car sales being down by 15% in January if we compare to pre-COVID. So. Better than last year, but not better than pre-COVID.
0: And I do think it is good to kind of look at the 2019 figures because the last two years have have been a bit crazy. And um, you know, he's he's looking at kind of the rise as well in EVs and how popular they're becoming. They, you know, 58% of the market share they have now. And um, you would wonder as well, though, with this this rise in sales, would a lot of people have PCPs?
1: there, Linda. I think the it's automatic okay. transitions are. Transmissions are 58% of the market share. Oh, sorry, okay. E- EVs, uh, the percentage basically has slowed uh, to 36.5% oh. and the market oh. share is about 13.5%.
0: Oh, all right, okay, apologies. Uh, no, so no, 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 not at no. uh, We haven't dominated That's yet, why so there's that. three of us from here yeah. in the paper,
1: just, just in case we mess up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but um, I suppose as well, you would wonder if PCPs and you know people who've bought, including myself, I'm ashamed to say, um, who have bought, the, you know, every three years we have to change our cars. So you wonder how much that is driving the market as well. Yeah,
1: well that's again back to finance, yeah. Bob. What are your thoughts on these figures? Um, County Clare saw the biggest increase in EV registrations, leapt to 114, percent despite the poor uh, uh, penetration of fast public charges on the western seaboard, according well, to Philip
2: Cold water on these statistics and damn lies. Uh, 114%. That could be 40 cars. No disrespect to, to County Clare. So it could be a very small number. Uh, but if it's 114% increase, listen. God help them because driving around Dublin with an electric vehicle can be challenging. Finding places to charge. Never mind County Clare. But it is the future. It's just it's a pardon the pun. It's a rocky road to the future.
1: Let's stay with uh, the motor uh, industry. And again, Ford returning to Formula One, Bob. Uh, uh, as the racing series popularity surges, and this is actually quite incredible, I suppose the rebirth of Formula One, uh, largely as it appears on the back of a Netflix uh, uh, series called Drive to Survive, but that alone has has increased. Uh, the viewership by something like 28%. It's incredible. Great.
2: It's great to see it back, Bobby, because I mean, F1, what people don't realize is most of the technology in our cars, a lot of it has been developed in the F1 sure. circle, you know, the things that they invent. And it did go through a dip in the Michael Schumacher era, where Michael, you know, he won every race that went and just people switched off in their millions because he just dominated the sport. It is coming back. Uh, John Malone, the Liberty Media um, a, a squillionaire, he's not even a billionaire. He, <laughs> He bought it for four billion back in uh, two thousand seventeen. And as an industry, I mean, Ford are back, Audi are coming back. Amazingly, Porsche are not in Formula One, which I just find staggering. But they're looking at coming back in. But one of the things that they're doing is they're going to have twenty twenty six. You must have ethanol in in the cars. And yeah. So you know they're they're going. And in- I think
1: is there? Am I right in saying that the requiring teams to increase electrical power by as much as 50%.
2: Exactly. So between 50% and electricity and uh, ethanol, they're trying to move F1 towards uh, eco-friendly. Now, for my green friends out there, I know they're falling off their bicycles with the term (laughs) green and eco-friendly in Formula 1, but it is moving in that direction.
1: But you're right when you say that this is where the technology in our cars happens and even that trend of electricity and ethanol is where we're going to be headed. Uh, Staying with cars just briefly, if I can, Linda, the richest man in the world taking on Elon Musk Uh, This is Bernard Arnault He's the CEO of of, uh, LVMH Uh, Basically uh, they've bought into uh, Lotus so and Lotus are going to be coming out with an electric car, and it's going to be sabers at dawn between <laughs> Musk and this chap Arnold. Is that right?
0: You do, you <laughs> do wonder if both of them are, are at home, kind of counting their money in John Paul Getty style. You know, having this argument, Bernard Arnold or Arnold. Um, his kind of day job is in fashion handbags, Dior, um, Louis Vuitton. Um, so maybe this is a bit left of field, this investment. But uh, yeah, um, EV cars are the way to go. It seems.
1: Bob, I want to bring you to uh, Westport County, Mayo, um, about a really amazing story. This is a shop from a certain time, um, having traded in Westport for almost a century, 99 years. This shop opened in 1924. It's closing today, and what a history! What a what a what a walk through retail over the over the decades. How a shop changes what it does, the personality of the owners. What did you think? Well, it's lovely to see, first of all, a father-son team
2: in it. And I see them in the photograph. They're looking back through the records of the business. It started in, in, as you say, 1924. It was a hardware shop and they they opened a pub. I mean, you can't have a hardware shop without a pub in those days. They did groceries. They sold horse-drawn carriages in the early days. They sold
1: guns and ammunition, coal. Like
2: every town in Ireland has one <laughs> Wicklow Town has a shop called Stands it's like a stardust uh, Tardust. you walk in you think it's a news agent it's a bloody department store well I have
1: good news for you because I'm going to be talking to Dave Ward of JJ Glynn's hardware sh- store in the next hour oh, I read the story this morning and I rang him up one, one of our lads Jack uh, a, a native of Mayo tracked him down and he's going to be talking to us in the next hour so Great. stand by for that finally to you Linda Outrageous young diners lick sushi and put it back in online videos. This yeah. is horrific stuff. But tell us more. It's from page six of today's Irish Independent.
0: So two of my worst nightmares here. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you would go into a restaurant and somebody has licked um, the utensils or anything in the restaurant at all. I don't know why you would. And then they would put it on social media uh-huh. to, for everybody to see. Um, yeah, so these Japanese diners went in and um, licked uh, the sushi uh, kind of condiments and that and had to go in and apologise their parents did bring them in to But did you sure, see yeah. the
1: damage that it did to the stock value of the restaurant chain Their which, shares plummeted Yeah Yeah, yes, uh, yeah it uh, did. So quite horrific So you know what Social media and the power, even in a negative way, it actually decimated that business, which was a chain of sushi restaurants. Well, the Japanese are so fictitious. I mean, you know, their cleanliness,
2: everything, attention to detail. But I think the real story here, the TikTok generation that people would find this amusing to put up on TikTok of licking. One guy, he was using the toothpicks and putting it back into
1: the container. Oh, stop. Okay, we'll let you get back to your breakfast, folks. I would like to thank our guests for our business review. Linda Daly of the Sunday Times and Bob Hoffman of Vista People. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome, Bobby. Down to Business
0: with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.